I thought and thought and thought how to open this message. And the only thing that I could come up with was an illustration that isn't the most polite. And so in doing that, please know that I don't mean anything by this. I'm just trying to illustrate something, okay? Can, can we handle that? All right. Two thoughts. The first one, some could take offense, and I don't think you would, but just, just know I'm not trying to, to say anything rude or hateful or offensive. Uh, it's just, it is what it is. How many of us know that sometimes a lot can be said with a very little simple statement? A whole lot can be said. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about my years as a teenager growing up in the home of my parents, and every once in a while my parents would tease me about uh, girls. And every once in a while they would try to get me to notice you know, a certain girl, or maybe they had met a certain girl, and you understand what it's like as a teenage boy. You know, there are just a couple of things that you're worried about, but the number one thing is, is she pretty? Right? I mean, let, let, let's not act like, guys, that that wasn't on our mind at least a little bit. Is she pretty? So my dad or mom might say something like, hey, we met this, you know, this girl or something, whatever they might say to me, and, and uh, of course, I would respond with, well, is she pretty? Well, you know the response that you get sometimes from your parents. She's cute. Or something like this. She has a nice personality. Now, what did that mean? It meant exactly what we know it meant. She ain't pretty, but she's really sweet. Right? Y'all are looking at me like I'm terrible for even acknowledging that I know this to be the case. Uh, you know, I mean, is, is she pretty? Hey, she's got a nice personality. Okay, that means she's not pretty. I'm glad she's got a nice personality, but I'm not interested because I want more than a personality. Okay, so you understand what I'm saying. When a, a, a simple statement can, can say a lot about a person or about an individual or about a situation. Now, to move away from that, I, I want us to think about something else. In life, there are a lot of things that have fluff, but they don't really have significance to them or substance to them. You understand what I'm saying? This has been illustrated, I'm sure, in many different ways, but, but, but an illustration that's been used many times before that I've heard and I think I've used in times past, it's kind of like cotton candy. Cotton candy looks good. There's a little bit of purpose. There's a little bit of value to, to cotton candy. But whenever you go to take, partake of cotton candy, well, you recognize pretty quick there's not a lot of substance there. It's more fluff. It's more show. It's more about the appearance than it is about the substance of the product. Okay? So with those things in mind, this evening I want us to begin looking at verse number 4 of Psalm chapter 1. Now hopefully I'll make sense of what I've said thus far in the next couple of moments. But as we look in verse number 4, the writer of the psalm makes this statement. The ungodly are not so. The ungodly are not so. Now, if you and I had not been doing a study of this psalm for the last few weeks, if you and I had not been looking at these verses, uh, you know, trying to go through them slowly and methodically, if we had not done such a study and all we heard were the words, the ungodly are not so, 
We may hear those words and say, okay, or shrug our shoulders and say, that's fine, but I don't really know what it is you're talking about. But that statement, those few words recorded in verse number four, the ungodly are not so, that is a short statement, just a few short words that say much when you consider the context in which those words were spoken. The ungodly are not so. When the writer speaks of an ungodly person, what is the writer speaking about? What is the writer speaking of? When he speaks of the ungodly, is he speaking of someone who is wicked? Is he speaking of someone who is vile? Is he speaking of someone who is profane? Is he speaking of someone who, who we might, as, as people, identify as a worthless individual? Well, someone who is profane, someone who is wicked, someone who is vile, someone who would fit that kind of a description, we could rightly say that that person is ungodly. However, there is more to the idea, there is more to the thought of being ungodly than just someone who is wicked or someone who is vile or someone who is profane. For a person to be ungodly, essentially what has to take place is this. The person has to be void of God in their thoughts and their actions. For a person to be ungodly, it doesn't mean that they have to be profane. For a person to be ungodly, it doesn't mean they have to be vulgar. For a person to be ungodly, it doesn't mean that they have to be this wicked, demented, twisted individual. All it means is this, is that in their daily thought process and in their daily actions, God does not factor into their thoughts and in their actions. So if you think about it, here's what you understand. And if you think about it, here's what you know. You can have very good, quote, unquote, people who are ungodly. Again, it's not that they are bad, terrible, wicked, evil, vile people. But they don't factor God into their thoughts and into their actions. A couple of weeks ago, just to illustrate this very quickly, a couple of weeks ago I was out visiting with my neighbor, the one that I like and the one that I enjoy helping and things of that nature. I, I was visiting with him and I was letting him know that we were going on vacation and, and, and it makes him feel good to think that he's watching the house and, and taking care of things for us. And so I, I wanted him to know, hey, we're going to be gone for a few days and if you would, just kind of keep an eye on things. And, and he was more than happy to do it. Our neighbor is a good man from the world's perspective. But as I visited with him in that brief and short conversation, some spiritual things came up and he made it very clear that God is not a part of his thinking and God is not on his radar. Now, if you were to ask me about this neighbor and say, okay, Kyle, is this a good man? I would say, as we're used to using the terminology, yes, he is a good man. But if you said to me, Kyle, is he a godly man? I would have to say this, no, he is not a godly man. And the reason that he is not a godly man is, again, I want us to really understand this and I want us to really focus on this. The reason that he is not a godly man is because in his thoughts and in his actions, God does not factor into them. So that's what it means to be ungodly. Now, if you'll think about this for just a moment, 
anyone then can be ungodly. A person can go to the house of God frequently and be ungodly. A, a person can, can come to church and not just frequent the house of God and be here on a regular basis. They can be involved in ministry and yet still be ungodly. A person can be employed at a church and a person can pastor a church and still be ungodly. Now, I don't know about you, but for some people, that's hard for their minds to, to grasp and that's hard for them to get a hold of that. How could a preacher be ungodly? How could a Sunday school teacher be ungodly? How could a youth worker be ungodly? How could the bus worker be ungodly? Because just because we do things that are religious in nature does not mean that in our everyday lives, God really factors into our thoughts and in our actions. Does this make sense? So we could be here this evening, we could have the appearance of being godly because we're at church, but just because we're at church does not mean we are godly. So there could even be people in our own midst tonight. I could be amongst them if I'm not careful and if I'm not mindful of this and trying to give heed to this. There are people amongst us who we might be able to say they are ungodly. We're not saying they're not good people. We're not saying they're not kind people. We're not saying that they're, they're not helpful people. But when it comes to their thoughts and when it comes to their actions... God does not influence them, and God does not dictate to them how they think, how they live, and how they conduct their daily lives. So that is what an ungodly person is. And again, the writer says the ungodly are not so. Well, what are the ungodly not? Well, the ungodly are not everything that the godly are by way of actual substance and who they are as an individual. Well, what do I mean? Well, if we go back to verse number one, just very quickly, just want to remind us of this because of the break that we've had. What is the godly person? The person is, the godly person is, the one that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. They have not adopted the world's philosophy for themselves. They haven't stood in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The godly have a delight in the law of the Lord, and the godly will meditate in his law day and night. And here are the characteristics in verse number 3, the manifestations of a person who truly lives according to the truth of God's word, the person who truly tries to abide by God's law in their life, in verse number 3, the writer said that this person is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. What did that mean? Two weeks ago, I reminded us of this truth. It meant this, that the godly is someone who is a person of conviction, who is stable, who is established, who is rooted, and who is unmovable regardless of the world they are living in. Now follow this, please. The ungodly are not so. so. So what does that mean? If the ungodly are not so, in verse number 4, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it would mean this. 
the ungodly, those who are void of God in their thinking and in their actions, they are not like the tree that is planted by the rivers of water. Which means they're not grounded, which means they're not established, which means they're not rooted, which means they are not unmovable. They are everything that they are not supposed to be when it comes to personal conviction and personal holiness and living according to the truths of God's word. See, for the child of God, what is supposed to dictate our way of life? It's supposed to be the Word of God. The Word of God is supposed to be what leads us, and the Word of God is supposed to be what guides us. And the Word of God, as contrary as it may be to today's society and today's thinking and today's philosophy, the Word of God is supposed to dictate to us, again, how we think and how we live. Now, why is that important? Consider some social issues just for a moment. Consider some social issues that we face today as a society. How many of us remember the time when it was once frowned upon and looked down upon when a couple lived with one another outside of wedlock? There was once a day that you weren't proud of that. There was once a day that that wasn't flaunted. There was once a time in our culture and in our society where, where if you heard about this, uh, this man and this woman shacking up with one another, I, I mean, it was not spoken to with, with great affection. It was not something that was just lightly overlooked and something that was just kind of, you know, well, you just kind of turn a blind eye to it. And, and, and people didn't say something like this, well, I'm not for it, but, you know, that's the kind of world we're living in today. See, for the child of God who is grounded, who is rooted, who is established, who is unmoving, they are of this persuasion, not because that is who they are, but because the Word of God forces them to be such no matter what culture or society says. See, the ungodly, even those who sit in churches who are ungodly in their, in their thoughts and their actions, here's what it's beginning to look like more and more. Things that were once commonly accepted as sin, the church and many professing Christians these days no longer get worked up about it. And so here is this man and here is this woman and, and they're living together outside of marriage. And, and yes, it's not at all what it's supposed to be. But, but you've got people in churches many times and of course in our culture as a whole, they just look at it like, well, you know, what do you say? What do you do? They have no conviction. They have no resolve about them that no matter what this world says or does, it is wrong. They lack that conviction. We know what it's like, don't we? And we remember, I trust, what it was like to, to, to we remember to, to live in a world where teenage pregnancy wasn't anything that was cute or acceptable or Something we wanted, something we wanted to, to glorify and, and honor. I mean, how many of you remember the, the, the time when you learned that so and so got pregnant outside of wedlock, and, and you were just horrified? 
You were just shocked. You were just amazed. And, and your heart grieved for the parents because you knew the parents were, were grieved. And you knew that the parents were embarrassed. And you knew that the parents were hurting. And yet today, so many people hear such an event taking place and, and, and such a scenario unfolding. And, and so many times, you, you know what the response of the so-called godly is? Huh. Well, that stinks. Well, that's sure going to make their life miserable. That's sure going to make their life harder. Man, oh man, well, I hate that for them. But, but we sure wouldn't want to condemn. We sure wouldn't want to come down hard on that. We sure wouldn't want to, you know, to be negative about that. No, we, we wouldn't want to do that because, well, that's not the kind of world we live in. You understand, here is what the ungodly has done. They have begun to tolerate and to accept things that were once commonly accepted as sin. And we said, you know what? We're not going to put up with that. We're not going to tolerate that. We're going to call it what it is. It is sin. That is exactly what it is. And you can do that with the right attitude and the right spirit. We don't seem convinced of that tonight, but we really can do that with the right attitude and the right spirit. Just say, listen, I, I, I'm not trying to be ugly, but, but that's not right. And, and see, the ungodly, they're worried about feelings. They're worried about emotions. They're worried about hurting someone. They're worried about making somebody in their family upset. Well, I just, I don't know. I just, I just don't want to upset the apple cart. That, that's what the ungodly are like. The ungodly, it's not just in social issues, and I know I've only pulled a couple out by way of example and by way of illustration, but the ungodly, they let everything and everyone around them dictate to them what they will do and how they will live in their response to things. There's no conviction. There's no conviction. Now, I, I'm listen. It's my first Sunday back, and I want us to all be happy when we leave tonight, and I want us to all be, hey, good to have you back, Brother Kyle. I wanted to have that kind of a spirit, but, but, but I, I just want us to consider this thought before we move on, and, and the thought would be this. How many of us, if we're honest, would have to admit we don't quite take the positions we once took? And I'm not talking about we've matured a little bit and, and you know, we, we realize, okay, that wasn't as big of a deal as we thought it was. <laughs> but how many of us, if we were honest, we would have to admit that what the Word of God has clearly spoken on, we find ourselves wanting to wiggle around it, wiggle out of it, sidestep the issue, act like it's not really a Bible issue, how many of us would have to admit such a thing? Now, I don't expect anybody to raise their hands and say, oh, that's me. But what I'm saying is this, is that indicates a problem in our spiritual life if you and I do not hold to some kind of conviction that the Word of God is absolute, that the Word of God is unchanging, and what was wrong a thousand years ago is still wrong today, and however long this world continues to exist, it will still be wrong. And what was right a thousand years ago is still right today. And in a thousand years, if God allows, it will still be right. I'm telling you, in our so-called churches, we are getting so weak. We are getting so watered down. We are getting so, so spineless in so many of the positions we take. And we may take a great stand in the church, but once people get out into the workforce and then they get around their family, when, when they get around the pressure, they begin to wilt and they begin to, to just wither and, and they don't have the conviction they ought to have 
And that says something about the person's walk with God. The ungodly are not so. He said in verse number 3 that they shall be planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth fruit in his season. See, the godly, the ones who have not adopted the world's way of thinking, the ones who, who have not adopted the world's philosophies, and the ones who continue to love God's word, they're producing fruit. That matters. The ungodly do not do so. The ungodly do not reproduce themselves in a godly fashion. The ungodly are not investing in the lives of other people. The ungodly are not trying to be the mentor to the student. They're not trying to be the teacher to the pupil. They're not the ones who are looking at someone and saying, okay, where can I be a, a, an influence in this person's life? How can I help them get from point A to point B or from point B to point C? The ungodly are not reproducing themselves. And there are many reasons for that, but one of them has to be dependent somewhat on this because they don't have a love for the word of God and the things of God as they ought. Now again, I, I'm, I'm just asking us to consider tonight. Who are we seeking to have influence in? Who are we seeking to reproduce ourselves in? As we're going through this life, what kind of fruit are we worried about God reproducing in us? How many of us are saying anything like this with any kind of a burden, with any kind of a desire, with any kind of a passion? God, I'm wanting you to use me to be a help and a blessing in the life of someone else, to help them along their ways. Again, I, I'm not trying to be offensive here, but I want us to think about this. So many people who sit in church, they have no Burden, they have no vision for anyone or anything outside of their immediate parameter. They themselves and their families and getting ahead in life, that is the only thing they are worried about. It's the sign of the ungodly. See, if we can go through our daily lives, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if we can go through our daily lives, and we don't have a burden for this person, or we don't have a burden for this individual, we don't have a passion to make a difference in this family's life, if we're not looking at someone that we can invest in, friends, there is something wrong with us and our spiritual condition, the godly or the ungodly are not so. The ungodly do not have a desire to reproduce fruit in their lives. The ungodly are not so. In verse number three, he said he should be planted by the, uh, be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. 
his leaf also shall not wither. What is the godly, or what happens in the life of the God of the godly? There continues to be life in the spiritual life. It doesn't fade. It, it doesn't wither. It, it doesn't dry up and 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 become pointless and worthless. See, that's not said of the ungodly. For the ungodly, the ones who have adopted the world's way of thinking, the ones who have adopted the world's philosophy, for the ones who, who don't truly love the Word of God and who don't really meditate on the Word of God, I, I'm just saying, and, and, and there are many examples to which you could point to, the older you get, the less concerned and passionate about the things of God the people become. The ones who were once involved, the ones who were once faithful, the ones who once had a heart for, for the things of God, seemingly, the, the ones who, who, who used to, you know, to, to have a burden for, for the things of God, as they have grown older, it, it's like they have detached themselves from that source of life and that source of strength and that source of energy. And from a spiritual standpoint, they don't have the life, and I'm not talking about the energy, but they don't have the life and the passion for the things of God they once had. I don't mean to be too personal in this, but I, I've listened to my father-in-law say on a couple of occasions that over the years he has seen preacher after preacher after preacher who it just kind of becomes routine and mundane. And the, again, the, the conviction that was once there and the passion that was once there and the zeal that was once there, it, it's really not there in the older years like it was in the younger years. Now, again, I'm not talking about energy because every one of us slowed down as we get older. And I know I'm preaching to the choir for many of us on that, but I'm just saying I recognize that I don't have the energy to stay up with my kids like I would have 20 years ago. I'm not talking about energy, but what I am saying is this. The ungodly, as they grow older, they don't grow better, but many times they grow more cynical. They grow more bitter. They grow more angry. They grow more, more just uneasy and, and unenjoyable to be around. y'all know that? <laughs> I mean, it happens. It doesn't happen on accident. I think sometimes we need to look at our spirit and our passion and our drive for the things of God. And say, God, do I still have a passion for you? God, do I still have a desire? I mean, do, do I still even want to do anything? Or, or am I just enjoying these years where I can kind of sit back, relax, put it on cruise control, and, and I don't have to get too worked up about anything? It, it ought not be that God's people become of such a spirit and of such an attitude toward life. 
See, that would be an ungodly attitude where, where I just want to kind of unplug and disconnect and just remove myself from everything. No, the godly, because they understand the word of God and they don't want to get wrapped up in the world's way of thinking, the, ungodly, the godly, that they want to stay plugged in, the ungodly says, well, I don't care. I'll just kind of do what I want to do. It's not good, obviously, and it's not right. The ungodly are not so. What else did he say in verse number 3? Not only did he say, His leaf also shall not wither. He said, And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That meant to thrive. It meant to do well. It didn't mean that you'd be rich. It didn't mean that, you'd be, that you would be problem-free. It didn't mean that you'd be you know, uh, living a perfect life and everything would be fantastic and everything would be swell. But it meant that what you did in life and what you do in life, you would thrive. You would thrive. How many of God's people today are not thriving in life? Again, I'm not talking about finances because if that were the indicator, I'm not thriving I'm not talking about worldly possessions because if that's the indicator, then most of us, well, we're not doing too well. But in the areas that matter most, how many of us are thriving? How many of us today could say we have thriving marriages? How many of us could say that our families are thriving, that our families are doing well? How many of us could say in our walk with God, in our relationship with Him, it is thriving? How many of us could say when it comes to peace and joy and contentment and happiness and fulfillment in life, we are thriving? How many? See, we need to ask these questions every once in a while because there are so many people who sit in churches and they are not thriving by any stretch of the imagination. They're not prospering. They're not flourishing. They're not, they're not doing well in the areas of life that truly matter. Now, again, when a person is not prospering, even amongst the religious people, even amongst the churchgoers, that is not the fault of society. That is not the fault of, of everything working against us. If I am not thriving and doing well in life, listen, please, that indicates a spiritual problem in my life. Because no matter what is going on out in this world, I should still be able to prosper and to thrive in the areas of life that truly matter. So the ungodly are not so. They are not grounded. They are not established. They are not rooted. They are not people of conviction. They are people who are easily swayed. They are people who are easily influenced. And they'll be this with one group of people. They'll be this with another group of people. That is what the ungodly looks like. And the ungodly person doesn't reproduce themselves. They're not investing themselves in other people. They don't have a burden for other people. And the ungodly, they're not continuing to to live and to flourish but no their leaf is withering and it's fading and the ungodly they're not thriving in the areas that matter most now notice what the writer says next and we're almost done not only does he say the ungodly are not so but he says but are like the chaff or the chaff how do you say that since i'm not a farmer Chaff, okay, that's what I thought, but thought y'all might be more energetic to help me, but nevertheless, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. 
Now, since I'm not a farmer, I had to look this up because I thought I knew what it was, but I wasn't sure, so I wanted to make sure I didn't sound like a complete idiot in front of you all because some of you know what this is. But what is the chaff? It is the husk around a kernel of grain. What is it? It's worthless. It's fluff. It's insignificant. There's no substance to it. It, it serves no purpose and it has no value to anyone or anything. Now think about this. The writer said the ungodly are not so. They are like chaff and the wind can drive it away. No one misses it. No one cares. It's unimportant. It is insignificant, irrelevant, and, and no value to anyone. It's kind of hard to imagine, is it not? Because, see, if you look at my neighbor, just to, to look at his life for just a moment, he, he's a good man. But spiritually, no value. He's a good man. I mean, he, he would help me as much as he could on any project that I might be doing around the house. He is kind. He is thoughtful. He is, he, he's a good man. But spiritually, from the spiritual perspective, you know what he is? He is fluff, but there is no substance. He says he believes in God. He says he's, he's, he's made everything good with God. He did say this. He also believes you can lose your entry fee. I didn't know we had entry fees into heaven, but nonetheless, that's the spiritual position that he takes. And, and whenever I spoke to him about it, you could tell he wasn't interested. Now, now, I say that to say this, from a spiritual perspective, as good and kind of a man as he may be, you know what he is? He's chaff. He's not doing anyone any good from a spiritual perspective and from those of us who claim to know the scripture, we ought to know this, that the only thing that matters eternally is our spiritual condition. So I say that to say this. A person can come to church every time the doors are open, and that does not make us godly. You can come to church every time the doors are open and be one of the most flimsy, weak individuals out there and have no conviction. You can come to church every time the doors are open and be so concerned with yourself and wrapped up in your own little world that you never invest in anyone else. You can come to church every time the doors are open and you can be growing weaker and weaker and weaker in your spiritual lives and not prospering, not thriving and flourishing. You can be in church every time the doors are open and it does not mean you are godly. And friends, if we're not godly, you know what we are? We're chaff. We are insignificant, unimportant, irrelevant, of no value from a spiritual perspective. Tonight, we ought to ask ourselves, we really ought to ask ourselves, 
Am I among the godly or among the ungodly? Oh, that's easy. I'm among the godly. Hold on. What is your evidence of such a claim? If I'm going to stand before you and say, well, I'm of the godly, and if you would stand this evening and say, well, I'm a part of the godly, okay, then what would you use as your evidence to support the claim? Well, I'm a really good person. There are a lot of good people, but they're not godly. Well, I came to church. I think we've established that one. That doesn't meet the criteria for being godly. In your daily life, in your thoughts and in your actions, what kind of influence and what kind of control does the Word of God have in our lives? See, if the Word of God is what it's supposed to be in our lives, it will manifest itself in this way. We will be men and women of conviction. We will be trying and doing what we can with God's help to reproduce ourselves. Our leaf will not be withering, and we will be prospering. We will be thriving. Are we among the godly or among the ungodly? If we're among the ungodly, we are chaff. We are all fluff, but no substance. The beauty of it is this. If we are among the ungodly, tonight we can make some things right, and we can say, God, I am sorry, and God, I want your help, and God, I need your help. And we can begin the process of letting God influence our thoughts and our actions. But we have to want that. Because God is not going to force himself into our personal daily lives and make us be godly. We have to desire it, we have to hunger, and we have to thirst after it. It has to be what drives us when we get up each day. Are we among the godly or the ungodly? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight to just be honest as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, that we'd allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and lives and to show us where we